0: The reading this evening is from Isaiah chapter nine, starting at verse one, and it can be found on page 693 of the church Bibles. Isaiah chapter nine, starting at verse one. To us, a child is born. Nevertheless, there will be no more gloom for those who are in distress. In the past, he humbled the land of Nebuchadnezzar and the land of Napali, but in the future, he will honor Galilee, of the Gentiles, by the way of the sea along the Jordan. The people walking in darkness have seen a great light. On those living in the land of the shadow of death, a light has dawned. You have enlarged the nation and increased their joy. They rejoice before you, as people rejoice at the harvest, as men rejoice when dividing the plunder. For as in the day of Midian's defeat, you have shattered the yoke that burdens them, the bar across their shoulders, the rod of their oppressor. Every warrior's boot used in battle and every garment rolled in blood will be destined for burning, will be the fuel for the fire. For to us a child is born, to us a son is given,
1: Let me um, pray for us as we look at uh, this passage together. We've just uh, sung about the hope that is built on the Lord Jesus. And we pray that as uh, we look at this passage this evening, that Heavenly Father, you would help us to understand more of that hope. And that we would uh, put our trust in the Lord Jesus and all that he's done and able to do for us. We do pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, I want you to um, imagine. Uh, Imagine there's uh, no countries. It's not hard to do. Nothing to kill or die for. No religion too. Imagine all the people living life in peace. You might say, I'm a dreamer, but I'm not the only one. And I hope someday you'll join us and the world will be as one. Imagine, no possessions, I wonder uh, if you can. No need for greed uh, or hunger, a brotherhood of man. Imagine all the people sharing all the world. You're probably glad I didn't sing it. I'm sure, though, uh, most of you recognise some of those words from uh, John Lennon's uh, song, Imagine. Most of us, uh, I imagine, would uh, also uh, like to imagine that kind of world. It'd be great, wouldn't it? A world of peace, uh, no fighting, uh, a world of sharing, no exploitation uh, of one another. Uh, Imagine uh, the world as one. It's it's a pretty iconic and popular song, isn't it? Probably uh, because so many people find themselves feeling how John Lennon feels. Perhaps you found yourself, uh, as you watch the news sometimes, imagining uh, that kind of world. A world with no war, uh, with no fighting, where all the people live uh, in peace, where they share, uh, where they live uh, as one. Maybe you look at the world and... You can't imagine that at all. Perhaps uh, sometimes we're driven to uh, despair. There's no point in imagining a world like that. Well, Imagine is one of those uh, songs that is incredibly interesting, isn't it? Because uh, on one hand, uh, we can associate with it because it's, it's a desperate cry uh, of pain, really, for a better world. And John Lennon, in one sense, has hit the nail on the head, hasn't he? There's something deeply wrong uh, with the world that we see. Purely by looking at how people treat one another. The way we treat uh, one another at times, if we're honest. But then on the other hand, it's way off the mark. Because what John Lennon says is the solution is to get rid of God. Imagine there's no religion. Let's just get our heads together as human beings and we'll sort it out. If only we all sort of bought into that. kick God out of the equation, and we'd have a better world. Well, that's what uh, the people of Isaiah's day had done. Uh, the song uh, of Israel, uh, God's people, was one where they'd got rid of their religion, they'd got rid of uh, their God, and they'd lived their own way. Uh, but just as we see throughout history, uh, many of you will uh, know far more about it than I do, uh, but living the kind of way that John Lennon uh, says, just trying to better ourselves... It doesn't actually bring us that kind of world uh, that we imagine, or that we might imagine. Let's uh, look at this passage, though. Let me briefly uh, remind us of the situation uh, for Israel. It's approximately uh, 730 uh, BC-ish, as Isaiah writes this particular uh, section. God's rescued his people from uh, Egypt, slavery in Egypt. He's brought them into the promised land in Canaan. He's given them his law. His good law, by which if they follow, they'll live prosperous lives, uh, lives that honour God. But as we've uh, seen, uh, God's people have given up on God. They've, they've ignored His commandments. Some of the things we've seen in the last few weeks—they live greedy lives. They exploit other people. Uh, they're corrupt. Uh, they're unjust. As I said, they call evil good, and good evil. Sounds a, a bit like today, doesn't it? And Isaiah describes their situation as living in darkness. That's a, a Bible picture that uh, describes uh, a world that lives uh, against God, ignoring God. And it describes our spiritual state before God as deserving of his judgment. And God's people, the people that he rescued, have turned away from him and they're in darkness. They face His judgment, rather than enjoy His blessing in this world, uh, they live in a dark world. And we've heard it's about to get much darker. God's uh, judgment, His further judgment is imminent. God's people are about to be carried off as captives uh, by Assyria and later on the Babylonians who ruled in those times. It's a bleak future uh, for Israel but it also is a bleak future for the world. Uh, The situation would have affected and does affect more than just God's Old Testament people because a lot hangs on the well-being of God's people. God had promised, do you remember, that it was through them he was going to bless the world. Think back all the way to Genesis 12. He'd promised to bless the whole world through Abraham and his family, the Israelites. Well it must have been hard wasn't it at this point as they were waiting for the Assyrians to come in perhaps uh, as the Israelites were watching some of the Assyrians come in and strip Israel uh, take captive uh, the northwest uh, take away some of God's people in chains it must have been hard for them to imagine any light at the end of the tunnel. God's judgment both for his people uh, but also the end of God's plans and purposes for his world really is a bleak future of darkness and judgment that we've been seeing now it's important we remember all that's gone on because it's amazing what Isaiah says in these verses Isaiah speaks not of darkness and gloom and distress he speaks of a glorious future hope for his people and consequently the world. And it's a glorious hope that really could not look any more different uh, to the one that we've been hearing about uh, them facing. Firstly we're going to look at how it's uh, described in verses 1 to 3, then we're going to look at the explanation uh, for this uh, glorious hope in verses 4 to 7, and then we're going to think a little bit uh, from the New Testament about how uh, this promise is to be fulfilled. So let's firstly look at this glorious hope uh, that's described in verses 1 to 3. Let me just uh, read those verses for us again. Nevertheless there will be no more gloom for those who were in distress. In the past he humbled the land of Zebulun and the land of Naphtali, but in the future He will honour Galilee of the Gentiles by the way of the sea along the Jordan. The people walking in darkness have seen a great light. On those living in the land of the shadow of death, a light has dawned. You have enlarged the nation and increased their joy. They rejoice before you as people rejoice at the harvest, as men rejoice when dividing the plunder. I wonder, did you notice uh, all of the contrasts uh, in these verses? Rather than uh, being humbled and taken off into captivity, uh, those lands who were first taken off into exile by the Assyrians will be honoured. Rather than uh, walk in darkness and under judgment, uh, facing death, light uh, is going to dawn. A new day is going to come. And rather than uh, a very small remnant of faithful believers, including the likes of Isaiah, there's going to be a whole realm. Uh, It says the nation uh, will be enlarged. And then rather than gloom uh, and distress, there's going to be joy. Uh, Perhaps you might imagine it like uh, a glorious uh, sunrise. Everything's been dark. And then the sun uh, just begins to pop up on the horizon. And there's this great light that comes over the land. Well, it's a picture for us here of what is going to happen. God's people are going to come from under the judgment that they've been in. And they're going to experience God's blessing and a restored relationship with him again. God's going to do something that will utterly turn the situation around. From humility to honour, from darkness to light, from distress uh, to rejoicing. It's, it's one of those uh, rags to riches transformations. I don't know if you spotted that, that little picture of rejoicing at a harvest uh, and dividing plunder uh, in verse 3. That would have uh, meant a lot for the Israelites. They would have thought back uh, to the glory days. Uh, Days when they'd come into the land, where there was uh, abundant harvest in the land. They'd plundered uh, the Egyptians uh, and other nations as well as they came into the lands. The good old days, as it were. And Isaiah's saying, this is what is going to happen to you. What Isaiah uh, tells God's people is a little bit like telling Liverpool fans today that one day they're going to reign and rule over English and European football. Uh, The cop will one day again rejoice, even with the loss of Stephen Gerrard. Uh, I was chatting to a Liverpool fan in the office earlier this week, you can probably guess who, uh, and she was just focused on beating Bolton Wanderers in the FA Cup fourth round. They got a draw, I think, just about. Sustained European glory wasn't even on the agenda. Well, just imagine yourself uh, as an Israelite here. Perhaps you've been chatting to the neighbours about the situation in the northwest. Maybe you know some who've been taken away by the Assyrians. You know of God's judgment that is to come, and you hear uh, what this is—what's going on here. You must have been thinking, uh, what is going to come of God's people? Uh, what's going to come of God's promises uh, to His world? Is God? Uh, forsaking us uh, once and for all. And then imagine hearing what Isaiah says here. This glorious turnaround. Notice, it's not John Lennon's uh, imagine. Isaiah talks with confidence. He talks as though it's already happened. With certainty. The people have seen a great light. Uh, A light has dawned. Uh, You have enlarged the nation. I wonder if you view God's promises uh, as confidently as that, as if they've already happened, they're so certain. Well, Isaiah does. Uh, He describes this glorious hope, and we're going to see what it means in verses 4 to 7. The key to it, really, is in uh, verse 6. Isaiah explains that this transformation of circumstances is going to come through a child king. He's going to bring divine uh, rescue and a world of peace. Have a look with me at these verses, uh, at this glorious hope uh, explained. Let's read uh, verse four again. For as in the day of Midian's defeat, you have shattered the yoke that burdens them, the bar across their shoulders, the rod of their oppressor. Every warrior's boot used in battle and every garment rolled in blood will be destined for burden uh, burning, will be fuel for the fire. For to us a child is born, Verse uh, 4, firstly, it's all about uh, a divine rescue from the situation they're in. Isaiah mentions Midian, perhaps you remember uh, the story of Midian Uh, in Judges. God rescues his people uh, from the massive Midianite army uh, with just 300 men. Uh, God makes a point of bringing the numbers down from around 22,000 down to 300 just to prove that it is he who brings the victory. It's him who rescues God's people. But there's another little reminder as well of a divine rescue. Think of Israel's past in Egypt. All of the language of verse 4 is Exodus language. It uh, talks of a yoke that burdens, bars across shoulders, rods of oppressors that's what it would have been like as a, as a slave in Egypt and God's people can think back to that time yet they know they were rescued and it was a divine rescue a divine rescue and it's going to bring a world of peace look at verse 5 this is an amazing picture every warrior's boot used in battle and every garment rolled in blood will be destined for burning will be fuel for the fire That would be an amazing picture of the end of war, wouldn't it? All the uniforms, uh, all the boots gotten rid of. Just think how many that would be from all of the conflicts we've seen uh, across our world. They're not even locked away in the cupboard just in case uh, somebody attacks. They're burned. There's no need for them anymore because war is over. Cue another John Lennon song. This divine rescue is going to bring a world of peace and Isaiah tells us this glorious hope it doesn't lie in trying to be better, trying to get rid of religion and God. It comes through a child king that God is going to provide for to us a child is born, to us a son is given and the government will be on his shoulders. We could read uh, on through those verses again, but bear in mind what we've just read. Uh, There are quite a few babies, aren't there, that are born into our world with great expectations surrounding them. Uh, I feel incredibly sorry for David Beckham's boys. All of them are expected to become great footballers. There's probably quite a lot of expectation of what they're going to achieve. Or think of little Prince George. I don't even know if he's walking yet, but one day he's going to be king of this country. It's a big expectation for such a little guy. But the expectation on uh, David Beckham's kids or Prince George, well, it's nothing on what Isaiah speaks of uh, for this child. Isaiah says he'll establish and uphold a kingdom that will last forever. He'll rule it with justice and righteousness. Something that no other king's ever really done, have they? It's a kingdom that will put an end to war. He'll be called uh, Wonderful Counselor. That means he's going to have supernatural uh, wisdom. He's going to be given the name Mighty God. He's going to display the kind of power that only God has. He'll be called Everlasting Father. Uh, the idea of a father uh, in the Bible is one who deeply cares uh, for the world. Not just its presence troubles, present troubles, though. This father is called Everlasting Father. He cares about the eternal well-being and Prince of Peace. Well, this child is going to bring peace, not just between men, uh, but between men and God. It's something of that world, isn't it, that John Lennon was imagining. But rather uh, than get rid of God and just trying to become better people, Isaiah sees the solution is utterly in God's hand. It's the zeal of the Lord through this child king that's going to make this possible. In fact, it's quite ironic that uh, John Lennon wants to kick God out of the picture, as we'd already seen. The very reason Israel found themselves under God's judgment, the very reason we find ourselves under God's judgment is because we've kicked him out of the picture. We reject his loving rule, he told us to have that kind of world John Lennon wanted, to love him and to love one another. But we find ourselves in the state we do um, today, a world of greed, corruptness, uh, selfishness, and a world that ultimately will face God's final judgment, will face exile from him, just like God's people did. But it will be eternally. Eternal separation from God ...and all of his goodness, only experiencing his anger and his judgment. It's a bleak uh, future of darkness. But Isaiah, he sees this light, this hope, not just to Israel, but the hope of the world. It's a huge thing for Isaiah to say, isn't it? This child king, who's going to be born in the line of David... What I've uh, loved about this passage as I've looked at it is that we don't need to just uh, imagine it. Uh, We can be confident. You see, in the New Testament, we read these very verses, not all of them, but quite a few of them again. uh, In Matthew chapter 5, you might like to um, turn there. Uh, Matthew chapter 5. So this is uh, 700 years on. Uh, we read Matthew say these things, chapter four uh, verse. So chapter four, uh, verse 12. When Jesus heard that John had been put in prison, he returned to Galilee. Leaving Nazareth, he went and lived in Capernaum, which was by the lake in the area of Zebulun and Naphtali to fulfil what was said through the prophet Isaiah. Land of Zebulun and land of Naphtali, the way to the sea along the Jordan, Galilee of the Gentiles, the people living in darkness have seen a great light. On those living in the land of the shadow of death, a light has dawned. Matthew is saying something absolutely huge here about Jesus. He is saying that Jesus is the dawn of this new glorious hope. He is the child king who's going to bring this divine rescue and rule over an eternal kingdom. This world uh, that we all love to imagine. So finally, we're just going to look at a final point, and it's this, the glorious hope uh, is fulfilled. And you might want to put in brackets, in part at least. Uh, The glorious hope is fulfilled. I don't know if you've uh, ever been on a journey uh, in your car, And you've started heading towards uh, a mountain range. Uh, And as you drive towards the mountain range, uh, at a distance, it looks like all of those uh, mountains are are pretty close together. They're all heaped up on top of one another. But then as you get uh, closer, you begin to realise, as you reach the mountain range, that actually they're they're far more spread out than when you first realised. In fact, there's quite a gap between the first mountain and then the second mountain uh, and then the final mountain. Well, we can understand how uh, Jesus fulfills what Isaiah said, a little bit like that mountain range. You see, when Jesus came as a child, it's like meeting that first mountain, his teaching uh, about his kingdom, and crucially, his death on the cross. To take God's judgment for us, for our sins, makes possible that divine rescue for us. That's why he came, uh, to rescue us from our sin from the way we've treated God and one another and he says whoever believes in him there's forgiveness and there's a place in his eternal kingdom but like uh, the mountain range uh, we only begin to see it in part the next mountain perhaps we could say is the way in which Jesus lives uh, through his church today You might remember Jesus told his disciples uh, that the greatest commandment was to love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind and strength, and to love your neighbour as yourself. That's kingdom living summed up. To walk humbly, act justly. And as God grows his kingdom on earth, the church is to love God and keep his commands. So we have Jesus when he came, we have Jesus as uh, his people live out their faith in the here and now. But then that final mountain of that perfect world that John Lennon uh, could only imagine, it's not to come until God brings an end to the world in his final judgment. Remember, Revelation promises a day uh, when everything uh, will be made new. Evil will be destroyed. Jesus will be sat on his throne and will rule his perfect eternal kingdom. And all those who trusted his divine rescue, uh, he offers then peace with God and perfect peace with one another uh, for eternity. Now, for many of us, that will seem a a long, long uh, way away. Just like uh, the arrival of that child king did to the Israelites 700 BC. But the great thing is we don't need to just imagine and kind of be a bit hopeful. Jesus showed us when he was on earth... That he has all the credentials to completely fulfil uh, this great expectation. Uh, When I was at university at Reading, uh, there was a a Weatherspoon's pub called Great Expectations, and as soon as you walked through the door, they went. (laughs) But Jesus, he fulfils uh, the great expectations laid on him. Uh, He spoke, didn't he, as a wonderful counsellor, one with super spiritual wisdom like nobody else ever has. Uh, he acted as we had expect mighty God would. Who else has calmed storms and healed sick people, uh, raised dead people, come back to life himself? He lived uh, as an everlasting father, didn't he? Someone who cared for the downtrodden and the outcast. And didn't he teach us how to love one another and live in peace uh, with one another like nobody else ever has? Not just by words, but he died, didn't he? He laid down his life on a cross to make peace between us and God. Jesus was this Prince of Peace that Isaiah talks about. This glorious hope for a world facing God's judgment is found in the man Jesus. The question is whether we accept him as that saviour and king. Now it might be that you've never seen that this is who Jesus really is. Uh, And if that's you, let me just ask you very briefly, uh, don't you long for the kind of world that John Lennon wants? The kind of world that Isaiah speaks of, the kind of world uh, that the the Bible says only comes through faith in Jesus. It might be uh, that you need to think a little bit more about who he is. It's a huge claim that Isaiah makes and then Matthew makes about Jesus, who he is and what he's able to do. And hopefully you'll be able to look at the world and see the answer isn't actually to dump God out of the equation and trust that we'll somehow get better. That just doesn't happen. If you do that, you'll only be left imagining and then wishing you'd not bothered. This glorious hope is only fulfilled through Jesus. In part now, but fully uh, in eternity. Let me close though with a few thoughts for those of us who would say we are trusting this Jesus. I don't know about you, but it's a great reminder, isn't it, of who he is and what he's come to offer us and the world, the problem that he's solved. It's easy to lose sight of that incredible hope that he's given us, to become a bit blasé, a bit lacklustre about following him, particularly in our current world, which we could call dark, couldn't we? Darkened by a worldview that is shutting God out of the picture in every area. Yet of all the people in the world, shouldn't Christians be the most hopeful people? See, we don't need to imagine. we've got a sure hope, something that we can be certain of, even though we can't yet see it in full yet. Jesus came, didn't he, as a light to a dark world, to reveal God to us, to rescue us from our sin, to offer us a right relationship with him. But not only is he the light of this world, he tells us that we are the light of the world. We are to be those who live out his kingdom values in our lives as we trust and hope in him. A bit like a, a city on a hill, that's the picture Jesus gives us. It can't be missed, it stands out. And if we do do this, we'll stand out amongst all the people uh, we live and mix with and work with. So as we uh, meet this evening, as we go out into the world this week, uh, we can know, because of this child king, Jesus, we don't face the darkness of God's judgment if we're trusting him. We have a real and sure hope for that world that some people can only imagine. He's rescued us. He's called us to be part of his glorious eternal kingdom now and forever. I wonder are you going to remember uh, that glorious hope that Jesus has fulfilled this week or are you going to live uh, in light of who he is and the kingdom that he's brought you into? Let me pray for us. came Across uh, this Church of England prayer this week, and I thought it'd be appropriate for us um, to pray together. Blessed are you, Sovereign Lord, our light and our salvation. To you be glory and praise forever. You gave your Christ as light to the nations, and through the anointing of the Spirit, you established us as a royal priesthood. As you call us into your marvellous light, may our lives bear witness to your truth and our lives never cease to proclaim your praise. Blessed be God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Amen.